You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Welcome to Thrive. It's good to have you here this day as we uh, move into Thanksgiving week. And um, I'm looking forward to Thanksgiving. Are you? Good. Some of you, I think, are traveling, and I pray that you have a safe, uh, safe trip up north where you're going to freeze, or wherever that happens to be. Um, we are finishing up our series today called The Seven Deadly Sins with one that I think everybody thinks they don't have, but maybe somebody else does. I was hesitant a bit about this series, not because, um, it's just because when you say we're talking about the seven deadly sins, we end up almost focusing on sin more than our Savior, and that can be a problem. And what we've really said is that we've been exploring this, this whole time. Not to kind of say, don't ever think, or don't even go there, even though, but just how much our human nature falls into these seven different things. And we all struggle with it. But more so, we've got a Savior who's dealt with it. We've got a Savior who's taken care of these things. We have someone that... Even the deadliness of sin has been taken on by someone who died for those sins, and he is the resurrection and the life. And therefore, as we look at these things, we can kind of put it in that perspective. So we're not coming at it from the perspective of, if you do any of these things, you're dead, and you, you know you're going to hell in a handbag, do not pass go, do not collect $200. Um, but from the hey, how do these things impact our lives? And then how is there a better way because of who Jesus is? So today, we're looking at the sin I think that everybody else thinks maybe somebody else has, but they don't, and that is, do you know which one it is? Greed. Yeah, we started with pride. Yeah, I know, but greed, it's a good one too, right? Greed. Oh, no, I'm not greedy. You know, it kind of reminds me of how we think about, oh, I'm a patient person. I am patient until I need it, you know? I think I am not greedy until I'm in a situation where something is needed or is requested of me that I want to hold on to. (laughs) And we're going to see this uh, of all places, and some of you know how this works, uh, greed really comes up, and I just went through this, thankfully, my family, when my mo- mom died, we didn't experience any of this issue, although, you know, if things kind of worked out differently, it might have, when you get to an inheritance. Ouch, all of a sudden, those relationships between brothers and sisters and, and your whole family, whoo, it can take a turn. So this actually is the situation between two brothers that we find in Luke chapter 12. And so we're going to be reading Luke 12, 13 to 21 today. Someone in the crowd said to him, that is to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. (laughs) Right there, you already see we've got a problem. You know, Jesus, tell, you know, Jesus is being used. (laughs) Okay. But he said to him, man, Who made me a judge or arbiter over you? That word arbiter really means divider, okay? 
And he said to him, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. We'll look at that word. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. We'll look at that word a little too. But God said to him, Fool. And yes, we'll look at that word. This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So what appears at first as a matter of justice you know, and fairness between two brothers, Jesus sees something else going on. He sees greed behind it all. And the Greek word for covetousness in this text is actually pleonexia. And that Greek word means just to pleon is more. You just always want more. You know, even um, Rockefeller, way back when, how much money is enough? A little more than you got. And this guy was as rich as anybody, right? You always want more, 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 more. And that is what Jesus sees as the heart of what's going on between these brothers. And then he says, as a result, take care, be on your guard against all pleonexia, all wanting of more, 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 covetousness, greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then after the parable that he tells, he says, so is one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. So we're going to learn in this parable how deadly greed is, how empty it actually is, how it makes you into a fool. Okay, the word fool, um, I don't have this on a slide, but the word fool is aphron, which is frone is your mind, and a means not, so it's like the empty-headed, empty, okay? And uh, whereas the rich fool in the text thinks, oh, I'm going to be merry, you frone, that is, I'm going to have good mind thoughts, etc. be merry. And what we find out, what we think will cause us joy and happiness actually empties us. Interesting, isn't it? So what we think, greed is the thing that, oh, if I get this, then I'll feel great. If I get this, I will be empty. So we're going to learn from this parable two things, how greed is deadly but then also how you can actually be rich toward God. So how is greed deadly? Well, right away, I kind of shared all. It divides. It causes divisions. Jesus uh, tells this parable in response to the brother saying, tell my brother, Rabbi, tell my brother to share, to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus says, I'm not going to be Judge Judy to you. I'm not going to be a divider between you. Psalm 133 tells us the ideal of how brothers are to dwell together in unity. It says, behold, how pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. And that didn't mean back in uh, the Old Testament that um, 
oh, my brother and I, we get along great. He lives in California and I live here. That's not what it's about. It's when brothers dwelt together in unity, they had inherited the land within Israel together and lived on it together next door to each other. Thanksgiving is coming. We'll see how wonderful it is for brothers dwell together for two hours in the house over one dinner table, right? Any of you ever have kind of tension at your Thanksgiving meals? Raise your hand. You do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyone else? Yeah. There's just a little tension in the air. Yeah. So already what's happened at the beginning before Jesus does anything before he even says a word, that inheritance, that greed has caused a division. Now you might say, wait a minute, but, it, but what if one of the brothers is actually abusing the other and taking advantage of the situation? Doesn't Jesus care about that? Of course he does. Donald George Miller puts it this way, Jesus was not showing indifference to the claims of legal justice, but was insisting there is, that there is a greater gain than getting an inheritance and a greater loss than losing it. So we say at Thrive again and again, it's all about relationships, right? It's all about relationships. Tell me now how many of you have not seen within your extended family, within neighbors, within others, something like an inheritance or a money matter dividing friendships, relationships? Anybody raise your hand, have you seen it? Sadly, I've seen it in, in my extended family as well. It divides. That's deadly right there. But secondly, it also insulates. So in this parable, Jesus is saying how it works. He says, the land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. Notice the man doesn't do anything for it. You know, the land produced it. In other words, God blessed he didn't acknowledge God for anything. He didn't think anything. He doesn't thank God. He doesn't express any gratefulness. He doesn't, he's kind of smug. He's got everything he needs and more. And he's kind of unaware of everyone around him. It is a strange phenomenon, but it is so absolutely true. Time and again, studies have been done about who are truly the most charitable individuals in the United States by socioeconomic groups. And you might think right now, oh, it's somebody like you know, Elon Musk. No, it isn't. The highest percentage of giving is done by the lowest socioeconomic status people. The richer you are, the less. Oh, it might be a big gift, but it's the less of a percentage you give away. And it's partly because you are insulated when you are in that position from all of the needs of other people. We saw it five years ago with Irma. I remember we as a congregation all the way through May, and Irma hit when, in October? And all the way through May for about six months or more, we were cleaning yards and helping people and working all of this stuff, and we saw the area still facing it, and for a year or two afterwards, but there were people that came into their, you know, at their house and in their neighborhood, nothing seemed to have happened. And they said, oh, wow, when they got down here, wow, this place looks great. This looks like it didn't even have a hurricane. Well, you didn't go into the right neighborhoods because you were insulated from it. 
I get it. I'm in one of those neighborhoods, by the way. <laughs> so we didn't have much damage even from Ian in our neighborhood. So it can insulate you. Um, greed also isolates you. Jesus shows how, how this man is talking to himself. Now, this conversation sounds normal to us because we live in such a highly individualistic society. We don't think anything of someone talking like this. But in Jesus' day, when he told that first century group here in Israel about how this guy talked and what he was saying, they would have been shocked. The text says, he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. Notice, he says, he thought to himself. What's fascinating is in that day and age, if you had an issue like this, where did you go? You went to the city gates, um, to the court of elders, a bunch of the older men, and you sat down and said, hey, I've got an issue here. I've got all this stuff, and I don't know where to put it. And they would have discussed it together in that community. But not this guy. He was isolated. He talks to himself. And, it, and he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. He talks to himself. We're so used to doing that. But in that day and age, you never did that. You never did that. He didn't talk to a family member. He didn't talk to a neighbor. He didn't talk to the elders of the city. He didn't even give thanks to God. So um, I was in a meeting with the city manager of Estero uh, a while ago. And I've shared this before, but it fits so well in this sermon. Uh, he uh, had been mentioning how Lee Health here um, studies the five counties of Southwest Florida thoroughly in a holistic way for health on all different areas, mental health included. And what they were surprised in finding is that there were certain zip codes in certain areas that had the highest percentage of loneliness and depression in all of Southwest Florida. You know where they were? The Gold Coast of Naples and the islands, where all the wealth is. Well, not all, but you know where the wealth it tends to be. In other words, the wealthiest areas, the people were most isolated. And finally, it devalues. The man didn't know what his life was worth. He thought he even owned his own life. And even his soul was on loan from God, according to this parable. His soul is on loan like everything else. He did not value relationships. He did not value other people. And therefore, he devalued himself and treated himself and everything in life as a commodity. Greed is deadly because it divides, insulates, isolates, and devalues. You know, we become people, like I said in this text, that think that we are going to have this um, you know, peace in our mind, this euphrone, as the Greek says here, this good thoughts, this merriment, and instead we have an empty mind as a result of greed. I think Proverbs uh, 1 verse 19 sums it as well. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. So most people think in life, when I'm feeling lonely and when I'm empty 
or I don't know if I have a purpose in life and I'm not sure where. You know what I need? I need to get more stuff. I need to shop for therapy. What does that produce? More emptiness. Could it be instead that my, my feelings of depression and loneliness and isolation are just symptoms of the greed that I have? Trying to fill up your life, you end up emptying it of value. That's what greed does. So now, what's the solution, according to Jesus? How do you get rich toward God? And I think the first step is to recognize Jesus for whom he is. I said at the beginning, the man um, asked Jesus kind of to triangulate him, put him in the middle. Tell my brother, you know, you tell my brother. <laughs> and he wanted Jesus to tell him to divide the inheritance. And Jesus responds and says, I'm not going to be a divider. Who am I to be that kind of divider between brothers? He refuses that. Now, the unique Greek word that is used as a divider is actually interesting. It is meristase. And just one letter off is what Jesus wants to be, and that is this word mesitase. You see that? Because he wants to be the reconciler, the one who brings brothers together. He's the unifier. Jesus refuses to divide you over money. He wants to reconcile you, to mediate. And the book of Hebrews puts it this way, what a mediator actually does. It says in Hebrews 9.15, Therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. To be rich toward God means you have to understand who you're talking to in the first place, to not use Jesus to try to get what you want from your brother or from anyone else or from life, but to see Jesus as the one who is your mediator, the one who will reconcile you to God and to others. The biggest problem in your life is not that you don't have a bigger slice of the pie. The biggest problem in your life goes much deeper than the stuff that you think you need. It's not about what you got to hoard or hold on to. The biggest problem in life is you need a reconciler, one who can reconcile you to God and to others. So we're only, um, I think James said it before, now we're five Sundays from today is Christmas morning. What? Yeah. Boy, talk about a timely message in one sense, because this is the greediest time of the year. <laughs> yeah, Santa Claus is coming, and the kids are getting greedy. <laughs> There's an old song by Larry Norman. Nobody probably knows who he is, but I just remember hearing it. Yeah, the kids are looking at what they want. Um, it's so amazing that the, er the original Christmas is not about the gifts under that tree. The original Christmas says that the radical problem of humanity is so great that stuff cannot solve it. 
that it does not take a snap of the fingers or an edict from the king or another Hallmark movie to kind of show how wonderful things can be. No, it took the radical, unheard of move that God made by giving us his only son who then empties himself of every one of his own treasures to purchase us with his blood. This is how Colossians puts it. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in him. So Jesus takes it all on himself. He empties himself of all goodness and takes on all our badness. And it kills him. It kills him, and, and through that death, he puts to death all the powers that could destroy your life. So being rich toward God first starts with recognizing the richness of God's grace in the mediator, the redeemer, Jesus. And then secondly, it's, it's time to start seeking what actually lasts. You know, the fool in the parable thinks, oh, I'm going to have bigger barns, I'm going to have this, I'm going to have that. Even his own life is not eternal. It's not going to last. All of it is temporary, especially his wealth. We don't really own a thing. Everything I've got is a gift. And so it's a waste of my time to try to hold on to stuff that in the end I'm going to lose. That's why I've kind of shared already about my mom, and I guess I might as well share again, you know. At, I think she models in so many ways for me. Um, she just passed away um, October 11th, was it? Gosh, it seems like a long time ago already. But in the last few years of her life, she had given away everything that she I mean, she was down to a lazy boy chair and a bed and about six changes of clothing and a TV that she didn't even watch anymore. Everything else had been given away, basically. So, um, and the one treasure that she held on to all the way to the end was Jesus. And she said again and again how ready she was to be with him. That's kind of a model, don't you think? What life really is. Right after this parable, by the way, if you read on in Luke, in the context of it, Jesus says, stop fretting and worrying about what you're going to eat and drink and what you will wear. You spend so much time on the things that don't matter on the transient, he says. And then he caps it off with this. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, not be, and do not be, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek these things. And your Father knows you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom. And these things will be added to you. In other words, focus on the eternal, on the things that really matter, on the greatest gift that you have. And then finally, know, I think, what's the purpose of the surplus in your life, the bounty that you have. Now, here's the irony. And this was brought up by an early church father, St. Ambrose. <laughs> not quite, probably 1,800 years ago. 
He looked at this parable, and the fool says, what am I supposed to do? I've got a problem. My barns can't fit all this. What am I supposed to do with all this grain? And Ambrose said, oh, he had a solution. There were a place to store it in the mouths of the poor all around him. That's the place that it fit the best. He didn't need to build a bigger barn. He could have shared his bumper crop with the whole community because it's really about relationships. And that's what Jesus says then in Luke 16, 9. He says, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you in eternal dwellings. In other words, wealth is to serve your relationships, not to isolate you from them. Wealth, everything that you have is to serve other people made in the image of God. Use your wealth to invest in the lives of others. And those relationships last forever, by the way. You and I, we're stuck together for eternity. I know, Hugo. The good news is I won't be just what I am. I will be the glorified, totally sanctified, person God has always wanted me to be. And same for you. But we're stuck together. And anything that I have that is used for the sake of building those relationships now lasts. Anything that I have that draws other people into the kingdom of God to share the good news with them in a variety of ways, those things last. Everything else falls apart. Like it's been said a million times, you don't see a U-Haul behind a hearse. You just can't take that stuff with you. And so that leads us to finally appreciate the true wealth that we do have. I don't know if you realize this, but Jesus, he was poor. Did you know that? He was really poor. He didn't have a bank account. He didn't have a chariot. He borrowed a donkey in order to come into Jerusalem that one Sunday. Um, he didn't have a place to lay his head. He didn't own a home. No condo by the Sea of Galilee, you know. No beachfront property. He's the owner of the entire universe, the one who's created all things, and he empties himself, and for our sake, he became absolutely poor to the point where in his last moments, even the one thing that they say he owned, that robe, was gambled over by a bunch of soldiers that had no idea the true wealth before them. And even in his own life, his own breath, he offers in praise and thanksgiving to his father and commends his whole spirit to him. Everything he had, he gave up to have you. Why would God, who has everything, give everything away? Because you are the treasure of his heart. You are the apple of his eye. You are his joy. Not because he's lonely, not because he's isolated. He has the perfect fellowship. God the Father and Son and Spirit together from all eternity have the perfect, wonderful fellowship with full, complete unity and love and glory. But God so loves, he wants to share 
and to give that treasure to you. So greed is deadly as it divides, insulates, isolates, and devalues, but God is good as he reconciles and, he, and even empties himself for our sake into this world and welcomes us and values us as his greatest treasure. Is that amazing? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this time, uh, for this series. Um, Though the focus in so many ways has been looking at individual particular sins and foibles that we have had, Lord, and we know we still struggle with these. We're amazed as we've seen um, our own, you know, issues with pride and gluttony and sloth that we've been able to see your steadfastness and faithfulness and goodness toward us that we are saved by your grace in a season that turns so often into just a quest for more and a fighting over <laughs> that perfect parking spot or that one item on eBay or in the mall, Lord God. Give to us instead that generous spirit that we know that the good life is not, that life is not consist in the abundance of our possessions. Life consists in the beauty of a relationship with you and others and how we can be rich toward you as we give and serve and love and live. Lord God, um, we pray for our Thanksgiving, uh, our Thanksgiving meals and those Thanksgiving days, Lord, that um, you would make uh, yourself be present in them, that you would be the focus of those days, that we would give thanks to you, that football and turkey and all that stuff may be there, but not the center of what happens on Thanksgiving Day in our homes. And give us the ability, Lord, to show your love and truth to those in our family uh, who may not know you, who need you, who have been searching in life but finding themselves empty because they keep trying to fill themselves with things that just cannot, just cannot satisfy. Lord, you are our joy. It is beautiful to live with you. We lift up to you uh, those who are still facing this Thanksgiving time, the devastation of so much loss from Hurricane Ian. For members of our own church, Lord, our own fellowship, who have been in need as a result. We pray, Lord, that we'd be able to come alongside of them to help them, to serve them, to lift them up. We pray, Lord, that um, as we sang, blessed is your name, even though you may take away, <laughs> um, you give. And uh, we bless you and praise you no matter what. Give us those kind of joyful hearts, Lord, centered on you and your goodness. We pray, Lord, for Southwest Florida that through um, this tragedy, Lord, through this difficulty, um, somehow you use that, not because you wanted it, but that you still use it for your glory and in our lives. And that you use it to extend your kingdom to the hearts and lives, that, that people will know where their true treasure is, Lord God. And how a community can come together because a community can find the unity in you, Lord Jesus. Bless our time uh, as we approach, Lord, your table this day. 
and the gift that you give. Where Jesus, even when you would be betrayed that night, you would still give yourself away to your disciples. You would love them so vulnerably and completely. And so prepare our hearts and our minds. Give us the faith to believe and trust you as we receive uh, the Lord's Supper this day. And bless us also in our giving this day and our tithing. Uh, just a small token of all the great gifts. We can never outgive you, Lord God. You have given us everything. So even the little portion that we give back, it's only just to acknowledge how beautiful you are and how amazing you are and how abundant you have given. All these things, O oh Lord, we lift up to you this day through Jesus our Savior. In his name we pray, amen.